Thank you guys again for supporting the podcast. In case you guys didn't know, I'm really trying to work on growing my social media presence, either on Instagram and on Twitter. So make sure you guys give me a follow over there of at Jason Hill is both handles. It's also in the show description. It's a quick way to link over. This is the best way to also ask me about questions or topics you would like future podcasts on. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. It has a lot of these topics just in video format. It's just another medium for you guys to check it out. And so that is a good way to also get some jujitsu help. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Secrets Podcast. Happy to have you guys in. So in today's episode, I want to get right to it. Uh, it was going. It's going to be about bigger guys training with smaller guys. This was actually a specifically a requested topic that someone sent me on my um, Instagram. They were asking, they were a listener of the show, and so they were asking about this topic. They were saying that they're around 210 pounds, and they just recently had a smaller female who joined the gym, and they were more or less asking, how do you actually train with a smaller individual um, and not make it seem like that you're letting them win with everything, but you're also giving them a chance to work and a chance to move around. That's a very good, that's a very good question. Um, I believe I talked a little bit about this in the sense of my bigger guy um, episode that I talked about like tips for bigger guys and stuff like that. But this is more specifically saying like I'm a more skilled bigger guy and now I'm grappling with a very smaller, very much smaller individual so what are some tips and tricks you could do with that? So yeah, there are, there are some tips you can do because I do understand, I think as I talked about in that episode, that a lot of times bigger guys get shamed for using their weight and using their size. And, you know, you don't want to be the one that ruins people's jujitsu experience. In my experience, bigger guys are usually a lot of times self-conscious about using their weight. That's one reason why they pull it because... They're, even though they're like the big, strong looking guys over there, a lot of times people don't want to roll with them because they're, you know, worried that they're going to get hurt or they're just too big and they're too hard to deal with. So I do understand that. And the bigger guys are like, oh man, how do I get people to like me more and stuff like that. Right. So kind of a couple of, of tips that might help is that if you're a bigger guy, right, you want to be inviting, right? You want, you want to be inviting. You want to be able to build rapport with your training partners, right? And even if you're not an instructor, I think this is important if you want to be a good training partner. You need to make your training partner feel comfortable with you. So the way that you do this, though, it can't be done in one role, right? It can't be done just training with somebody one time and it's all fixed. It's a continuous thing that has to be done. So let me give you an example. We have a couple of guys in my gym that are the bigger guys. And the way that I know that they have built rapport with the other students is, you know, if it's a female or if it's a smaller guy, usually when it's time to change partners or it's time to spar, majority of the time, like my smaller guys will go up to that bigger guy and ask them to roll. Because if, if they feel comfortable with that, they would much rather roll with a bigger guy then go with maybe like a mid-size spazzy person who doesn't let them like work and just smashes them and, and still uses their strength and size. So 
I, I know this can be effective because I've seen it be effective, but it's about the rapport that has been built and the style of rolling that happens. So for example, the bigger guy is letting the smaller person actually work. So when, when I'm the bigger guy, right, it, it would be very easy for me just to, you know, pick up the person, throw them down on the ground, mount and go straight for a choke and do that like seven times in a row. Well, the problem with that is, is no one's getting any benefit. You're not getting any benefit just like bullying another person, essentially. Um, you know, you're not really working on the efficiency of the technique, most likely. Um, you know, you're, you're just biasly using your strength and stuff like that. And then the bottom person is just getting wrecked all the time. And now I know some people would say, well, isn't that the point of jujitsu? Am I not supposed to be doing those things? And are they not supposed to be working against resistance? Yes, that is the point. But the reality is, is that like the bigger and stronger you are, jujitsu becomes more effective. Because if I'm, if we do the same, I don't know, X guard or X, uh, X choke, right? If we do the same cross collar choke with an individual and I'm 215 pounds. And then this other person who is 150 pounds does the X choke. And we both are using the same amount of force technically applied of effort that we feel hand positions the same or whatever. The bigger guy's choke is going to be more effective because mass and size do matter. So no matter what you say, like, even if you're using the perfect technique and you're not over uh, strengthening or you're not oversizing, even on the smaller person, you will still have a giant advantage being bigger. It just, it is what it is. So even if you are like taking this person down with precision and then you are, um, being able to choke them with precision and you're not using extra strength, that's still an advantage for the bigger guy. So doing that to a extremely undersized individual, someone who is way smaller than you and less skilled is that's, that's what I would consider a form of bullying. So you have to think about it in the way of weights, right? Now in jujitsu, we don't have the luxury of a lot of times being like, oh man, I, I wish I could train with a lighter weight, right? The first day you walk onto the mat, all your training partners are usually going to be like 80 to 100% to 200% times your max in weightlifting, right? So if my max is like 100 pounds, right? Majority of the people in the gym that I'm sparring against are that level of resistance or even higher, like failure, right? Because you don't know anything. So actually, as you get more skilled and you can control more of the environment and the conditions yourself, then you have access to lighter weight students, not in the sense of like physical weight, but in the resistance weight, right? You can, you, cause you have more skill, you can, you know, play any of these positions, you can do all these stuff. So for the smaller individual, the big guy has to make themselves be quote unquote lighter weight. And I don't mean like physical lighter weight. I mean like a lighter level of resistance, you know, letting them play top position, you know, but giving them a good amount of resistance to be able for them to work, like not giving them something if they're just trying to rip it 
or squeeze it, right? So even if the smaller guy, it's funny, I'll have even smaller guys. I'm not that big. I'm only about 160 pounds, but I'll still have these 120 pound guys or 30 pound guys or girls. When they try to pass my guard, they literally just grab my legs and try to hulk and throw them out the way. And that's just not effective necessarily. So what I do when they do that is I just don't move my legs. I'm like, okay, you're going to try to grab my legs like that. I'm going to resist and show you that that's not the most effective way. And so you can do things like that, that provide a good amount of resistance, but it's not overly resisting. Also, same thing for submissions. I only let them catch a submission if they're actually really using technique. Now, obviously I'm a black belt and I've been teaching and training for 14 years. So maybe my gauge of when someone is using resistance or using uh, technique versus strength is better than most people. I don't know. But I've seen even blue belts who are big and purple belts that are big do these same things. I've seen them when they're, you know, have their back taken, they'll fight, fight, fight until the person actually goes through the correct gripping pattern or goes through the correct grip for the choke. If you're a struggling jujitsu student that is really looking for some more help and guidance and trying to figure out what you should be training and the next steps in your jujitsu journey. I have an online program called the Jujitsu Blueprint for Lifelong Development. You have interest in or want more information on, make sure you hit me up at jasonhill.com and I do an interview to make sure that you're a good fit, make sure the program would actually benefit you so that way your time's not wasted and neither is mine. So for example, if someone does a rear naked choke and I feel their hand on top of my head, I'll just peel that hand off over and over again until they realize like, oh, oh yeah, it doesn't go on top of the head. It needs to go behind the head. So you can do things like that, that are causing resistance, but it's not overly bearing. You're, you're providing little different levels of resistance. And this, this can be done against any belt level. This could be done against any, uh, type of student. It just doesn't have to be for smaller students, you know? I do this even for my big students. If a big student, for example, the one of the hardest problems for big guys is, is getting out of the bottom position. So what I'll do with the big guy is if I get on top of them and I put them in a bottom position like bottom amount or bottom of side control, as soon as they start using their strength to try to push me off and not like shrimping or turning on their side, I increase my pressure on them. So what happens is, is they now associated that with negativity. So they've associated that with this idea of, oh, well, if I'm just bench pressing or whatever, that's not good. And then I say, hey, make sure you're shrimping, not pushing. And then they're like, oh, okay, it's a cue. They start shrimping. And then I will back off that pressure to let them escape. Now, some people would say that that's building bad habits for them, but I think it's just teaching them. It's giving them the right triggers to be able to work. And so you could do the same thing, even if you're a bigger guy on top of a smaller person. If you see that the smaller person is not executing the technique correctly, then don't let them have it. But if I'm on top of the mount of a smaller person, for example, and let's say that they actually did the elbow escape correctly, right? They did everything correctly and they actually had their grip in the right spot and they had their elbow in the right spot and they turned on their side and, and did all of those things. But you know that you could just absolutely counter it, destroy it, annihilate it, whatever thing you want to say. But here's the crazy thing. Let them have it because now you're rein, uh, reinforcing this idea that you're going to give them a reward, I guess, or acknowledge what they're doing is correct, right? 
So that is the best way to teach people while rolling and while sparring. And honestly, guys, if you're really wanting to kind of get the secret to getting good at jujitsu, it is this. It is the idea of learning how to train with various types of belt levels, learning how to train with various types of um, weights and sizes. Because the reality of jujitsu is that these conditions are provided for you right? You have training partners, you have instructors teaching information. And you, if you don't learn how to work within these conditions, then you're going to be screwed. And it's going to lead you to quitting and feeling frustrated. And so many times I hear students say, well, I wish I could find somebody who would meet me an extra two days a week and just drill with me. I wish I could find someone to do X, Y, and Z. And it's so funny when I ask them, well, how's that worked out for you? Are you able to find that? They go, no, no one will do that. And then I'm like, well, then why are you even using that as a possible solution? That doesn't make any sense. If you use that as a possible solution, you're just looking for a solution that's not even in the environment that's possible of doing. So instead of like trying to come up with crazy things like that, actually learn ways of how to use your training partners, find different strategies and tactics on how to do that. That's way more effective. And so these are all the things that I teach inside of my blueprint program because ultimately that's what you have to have. You have to have a blueprint in order to own your own jujitsu, right? I guess you don't have to, but like for me, I didn't even realize that I owned my jujitsu until I became a black belt. And then what I realized that had happened is that I could have definitely taken ownership a lot sooner. Just no one showed me how. So the blueprint that I teach and that I coach people through is that it teaches them how to take ownership a lot faster, teaching them how to use all the different belt levels, teaching them how to train with all their different partners, teaching them strategies on what to do and all that stuff, because that's ultimately, that's how you master your training environment. So back to the original topic to answer the question, a few things that you can do is making sure that you're not just only doing your go-to things. You know, you can definitely train your inferior stuff. And so you're both are getting benefit. They're getting benefit at maybe doing a top position and you're getting benefit at escaping. You can put them in bad positions, but you can, but then start to reward them for doing the correct technique or the correct thing. And then if they don't, that's a perfect teaching moment to be like, Hey, I feel like you're pushing, try shrimping now and use your shrimp. I know that you know that use your shrimp and coach them through it. You don't have to stop the whole match and like coach a whole brand new technique from start to end, but you can like give them cues. Hey, make sure you shrimp, make sure you're turning on your side. Hey, you're pushing too much. Like focus on this thing, give them cues to work on. And then the last thing is about like submissions. If you let them put you in submissions, only let them get it if they're doing it, you know, correctly or whatever, and just be triggering all those responses. So if you can do that as a big guy with the, with the smaller guy, you're going to get tremendous value. And that's how you build rapport with students. That's how you train with students and build rapport. But the problem is, is that takes sacrifice on your part, quote unquote sacrifice. I don't think it does. I think it actually makes you better. Um, that's a whole separate topic of why I think it makes you better. But it, it uh, helps the student now connect with you and be like, man, this guy isn't that bad. Man, this guy isn't that scary. Man, every time I train with this guy, he actually lets me work and try these techniques and gives me helpful advice. And that's very beneficial to the student. And then over time, they will start to get more comfortable with you. And then you can actually start increasing the resistance. You can start like putting some pressure and putting weight on them because now that they know they're not going to hurt you, right? 
So those are just some tips for you guys if you're a um, smaller or if you're a bigger individual training with smaller people. I've not really ever talked about that too much in detail before. Hopefully you guys found that helpful. Pass this along to some of your bigger friends if you feel like they crush too many people and they're not really sure what to do. But this could even be done if you're a mid-sized person training with a smaller person. This can even be done if you're a smaller person who is a lot more advanced training with new people altogether. It doesn't matter the size, right? So this can be applied all the ways. Just bigger guys usually can start doing this a little bit sooner just because they're big and they can get on top and start crushing people a lot earlier. So that's just something they can do right away. So anyway, hopefully you guys like this podcast. And until next time, I'll see you guys later. If you guys are really enjoying this podcast, I'd greatly appreciate it if you left me some reviews, maybe some five stars, whether you're listening to this on Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure you guys leave this five stars, leave some nice words. Also share it with a friend. You know, I don't charge anything for these podcasts and my goal is just to grow it and help the jiu-jitsu community. So thank you guys for supporting and I'll see you guys later.